a cargo ship sank one night. It caught fire and went down. And only this one sailor survived. He found a lifeboat, rigged a sail, and being of a nautical discipline, turned his eyes to the heavens and read the stars. He set a course for his home and, exhausted, fell asleep. Clouds rolled in, and for the next 20 nights, he could no longer see the stars. He thought he was on course, but there was no way to be certain. And as the days rolled on, the sailor wasted away, and he began to have doubts. Had he set his course right? Was he still going on toward his home? Or was he horribly lost and doomed to a terrible death? There was no way to know. The message of the constellations, the stars, had he imagined it because of his desperate circumstance? Or had he seen truth once and now had to hold on to it without further reassurance? There are those of you here today who may understand this. And I want to say to you, doubt can be a bond as powerful and sustaining as certainty. When you are lost, you are not alone. That's an opening monologue from a movie called Doubt from about 10 years ago, delivered by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Meryl Streep was in the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. It's not one that you can watch too often, but it's very good. And the whole story in the movie centers around whether something did or didn't happen. When Alan Webster was here back in the spring, one of the lessons that he presented mentioned the story of Thomas. It wasn't really about Thomas, but he, he read those same verses pretty much that Ben read just a moment ago and mentioned those same verses in his presentation. But this is a sermon that I have done about three different times at home. But about three different times, it hasn't made it to here because I wasn't sure how to deliver it or what to deliver. I wasn't sure who needed to hear it. But I thought after Alan was here that night, I went home and sort of put a few things together. And I still tinkered and toyed with it. And I thought this would be the time that I would use it. Because I'm not sure that this is a sermon that has to be heard by people who are here on Sunday morning. I think it's a sermon that needs to be heard for people that are here on Sunday night. And you might think that's odd. You might say, well, if you're here Sunday night and you were here Sunday morning and you, know, you hardly ever miss, why does the title slide say doubt? But I think any human experiences doubt in anything that they experience in life. And so I felt that it was important for us to talk about. Often, we judge people by one mistake. And I want to use that word mistake rather loosely because you may already think it's not a mistake. But often we never let those people forget. Sometimes we don't let the world forget he did this, but, and then we toss something else out there. 
If you look up here on the screen, there's three people that are listed. David, Peter, and Thomas. When I mention David, and I say, tell me things that David did, the Bathsheba story will come up real quick. Probably first. May not be much later than second. When I mention Peter, it's a real good chance that the first thing that people are going to think of was Peter denying Jesus three times. You might think that Peter preaching the first gospel sermon. But I bet we go to that denial almost immediately. When we think about Thomas, Thomas, unfortunately, has been relegated to a two-named person. My name is Jonathan Daniel, but his name, according to a lot of folks, is Doubting Thomas. It's almost as if that's on his birth certificate. And it's not. But that's what we think about with Thomas. But when we think about Thomas, we think about him in doubt, and we point fingers and we say, doubt. How can you doubt something that's so obvious? But we experience doubt in our lives as well. We experience this doubt that comes up. And I would dare say that a lot of us find ourselves in situations that Thomas was in throughout our lives as well. We almost have to. The reason being is we're human. Thomas has taken with him this title, if you would, of Down Thomas. But there's no doubt that he showed great faith many times. He probably wouldn't have been selected to be one of the apostles if he didn't have some kind of qualities that Jesus was looking for. But today, when someone is skeptical of something, we call that person a doubting Thomas and laugh about it. In reality, Thomas comes across to me as one of the most steadfast, the most loyal apostles of the twelve. He just needed a little more information. How many times have we maybe judged somebody wrongly on that skeptical nature? Maybe that I need to find out perhaps a little more about. I said mistake at the beginning. But Thomas didn't really make a mistake so much as Thomas asked questions. And I think we'd be wise quite often to do the same. Thomas appears to me to be somewhat skeptical by nature. He seems to believe, but with difficulty. And one day, if we go back into the story of Jesus, Jesus is preaching far from Bethany on the other side of the Jordan. And you may remember this story. His friend Lazarus has become severely ill. In fact, in great haste, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus to come and heal him because they believed that if anybody could help their brother Lazarus, Jesus would. We also read in the Bible that there's a close connection between this family. And so they trusted Jesus probably more than anyone else. This wasn't even calling somebody who was clearly capable of doing it, but this was calling a friend when they called Lazarus. And when word comes of Lazarus' sickness to Jesus, do you remember what he did? Jesus deliberately lingers 
for two days. He didn't go right then. And the apostles, if you'll remember, Jesus, the last time he'd been in Jerusalem, there was mobs of people, there was craziness, there was a threat, perhaps, that Jesus could be killed, maybe they could be killed. And you can almost envision them thinking, well, you know, he's probably a little reluctant to head that way because he might be putting us in danger. I don't know if that's what they're thinking, but you can think, you can kind of probably see their minds thinking that way. But after two days, Jesus says, we're going to go. And in John chapter 11, verse 8, the apostles protested and said, the Jews sought to stone you and you are going there again. They were floored by Jesus' decision to go into this area. They understood that it was common, or excuse me, that it was Lazarus that was in serious ill, seriously ill and perhaps dead by this point. But they said, you're going to go back into this place. In verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Which seems like an odd thing to say, but nonetheless he did. But he said, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Verse 14 and verse 15. The next person to speak in John chapter 11, verse 16, is Thomas. Thomas said, let us, all, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, this comment may seem a little bit pessimistic. I think it does to me as well. He might have looked at this and thought, well, there's no good end that's going to come from this trip. You know people that are pessimistic. You know people that are optimistic. You've heard the saying, is a glass half empty or half full? And the pessimistic person might view the glass as being half empty. Well, Thomas seems to look at this experience and think, well, if we all go, we're probably all going to die. He saw nothing but disaster ahead. But the reality of it was that it probably all thought that. You can imagine the thought running through their head, if we really wanted to fix help Lazarus, we would have went two days ago, but we didn't. But Thomas seems a little skeptical by nature. Well, that's understandable. But you know, sometimes we are too critical of skepticism. Some of the most creative thinkers and people in the world have been skeptical by nature. Some of the people in this room are skeptical by nature. In fact, I don't think there's really anything wrong with this. In fact, I think a lot of us would be better off if we sometimes put that attitude forth in life. Sometimes we're ready to jump in head first on anything when maybe we shouldn't. That's why salespeople are really good at their job. They know you'll buy, so they play to those things to get you to come in. The skeptical person is not who the salesperson wants to see. you got to work hard to convince them. But you say, okay, well, Thomas, he's doubting Thomas. He's skeptical Thomas, if we want to use that term right there. Well, <clears throat> there's some other people that come up in the Bible that seem a little skeptical about what's taking place as well. We think about Job, maybe David, Elijah. We talked about Jeremiah on Wednesday night. Jeremiah on Wednesday night, was he wrote five whole songs in the book of Lamentations about all the bad stuff that had happened. And he was asking seemingly in every one, 
God, why are you letting this? The chosen people, and you have let these Babylonians just overtake. The whole world is come crumbling down. We have the easy and we have the ability to sit back thousands of years later and say, why didn't they realize that? It says three chapters over that everything's going to be fine. Well, that's not the way it works, right? These people were living in a time when things made them a little nervous. Thomas wasn't alone in that skepticism. Thomas wanted to know more. So when Jesus sought to assure the disciples of eternal life, the spirit of Thomas is revealed again. Jack read this this morning, actually. But in John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, we read Jesus saying, I go to prepare a place for you. You know the words, and like I said, we read this morning. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's John chapter 14, verse 2 and verse 3. Who's the person that stopped Jesus' speech in John chapter 14? Do you remember? Thomas intercepts or breaks in, intercedes, breaks in, whatever you want to say. And he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Thomas, you should have just let him keep talking. He was rolling right there. He's about to tell you anything. But we're talking about a man who seems a little skeptical by nature. He wants to know a little more. He wants to know the answer. How does Jesus respond to him? He tells him he is the way, the truth, and the light, but no man cometh unto the Father except through him. But Thomas couldn't accept that without asking the question. He wanted to know more. There's an old Russian uh, proverb from years ago that says, it, I can't say it in Russian, but the English translation is roughly trust but verify. You've probably heard that before. Ronald Reagan famously used that. One of his speechwriters was was used that, and he, he would use that quite often as well. Trust, but verify. Thomas clearly trusts Jesus. He would not have followed him had he not trusted him, but he wanted to know verification. He wanted to know for sure what was going to happen. He had questions to ask. Let's look at one more thing for Thomas. Thomas seems to refuse to believe the resurrection of Jesus. Thomas, you should have known this, right? Jesus talked about this. Tear down the temple and build it back in three days. That doesn't make that didn't confuse anybody back then. You should have understood this, right? Thomas, even after the other disciples told him that they had seen the Lord in John chapter 20 and verse 25 that Ben read a minute ago, Thomas said, Unless I see his hands in his hands, the prince of the nails and put my finger in the prints of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And we look bad at Thomas for wanting to know a little more. But think about this. If somebody told you today that a person you had seen down at the end of the road be put to death by hanging with nails driven through their hands and with a spike stuck into their side and said, that person is back alive again, how many of you would have said, I need to see that? We all would. 
We all would. But the story and what Ben read there is a good example of what happened with Thomas every time. Thomas, every time, wanted to see a little more. Wanted to learn a little more. But how did Thomas respond whenever he got to touch the hand and the side? He said, my Lord and my God. That's all he needed. He just needed it confirmed. Trust, but verify. Have you ever doubted? Do you ever doubt now? Thomas wanted to believe. You know, there's a difference between honest and dishonest doubt. Does that make sense? An honest and a dishonest doubt. You know, some people just don't want to believe. Some people, you can tell them the sky is blue and they want to say it's not blue. They want to doubt every word that you say. You know these kind of people. It's almost impossible to have a conversation with these kind of people. You, anything, 20 people say this. Well, no, no, can't be that. Can't be this. It just drives you crazy. That's a dishonest doubt. If I tell you that my shirt is blue or maybe dark blue, may not be the best example to abuse, but if I said it's dark blue, there are people that would fuss and that would say, nope, nope, that's not true. It's hard to deal with that kind of person. Thomas was not a dishonest doubt. Thomas was wanting to believe. <clears throat> Thomas didn't want to make up excuses. He just wanted to see evidence or proof of what he was being taught. It's interesting that Thomas received sympathy from Jesus during this. I don't think there's any instance where Christ would blame someone for wanting to be sure. You know, Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas for his acts. At no point does Jesus fuss at Thomas in any of the situations where he interjects and asks a question. Jesus knew that once Thomas had sort of fought his way through these questions, once he had gotten things confirmed, that he would be the surest man in the world. Jesus never tells us you can't have any doubts. We don't have, we don't have that, right? Because we're human, we deal with doubts, with doubts that happen in life. Jesus in 20, chapter 20 and verse 27 told Thomas, instead of fussing at Thomas and say, Thomas, you're stupid. Thomas, you should believe this. Thomas, why do you... In John chapter 20 and verse 27, Jesus says to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Jesus recognized Thomas was struggling with doubt. And he said, I can help prove this for you. Sometimes when people ask us questions, we look at the question stupid or we're annoyed by the question and we give an answer that's almost critical of that person. Is that the way to approach things? If someone says, why do you believe the way that you do? And you respond by saying, you're stupid for not believing the way that I do. Is that the way to approach it? Sometimes it might just be a matter of people almost, what if Jesus had said that kind of, used that kind of tone or term or language with that with Thomas? Might his doubting fell one way instead of another? Who knows? But we don't see that. Jesus spoke to him 
as a sincere disciple, apostle, whatever term you want to use, follower, whose faith was weak. Thomas's heart wasn't evil. Thomas was just needing a little more information. Thomas has given assurance to the world. And if we want to call Thomas a doubter, well, he's attained the fullest and the firmest belief. Sometimes people in the church say things like, I don't worry about that. I don't worry about that. I can't think about that. I don't need to know that. I personally cannot be that way. I want to know more about everything. If you tell me a little something, I want to know a lot of something about. There are things that are mentioned here at church that I go home and look at. There are things that we that I teach about that I go home and look at. I was a school teacher in me, I guess. I don't know what it is. But I keep my phone handy because sometimes if I read something or see something, I've got a little list of things I want to read more about. That's just how I am. But I think that there's strength in that. And that may be an odd comment to make, but I believe there is. You know, sometimes when we doubt, it causes us to want to look and study and learn more. Too often, I think, when we make comments like, I don't need to know about that. I'm not worried about that. That denies us an opportunity to learn more about something that we may have to answer when somebody else is dealing with doubts when they come to us. There's strength there. That's how we grow. When we don't know, that's how we grow. When we're challenged, that's how we grow. When things are easy, that's when we just kick back and relax. I don't know that there were not 11 other apostles that had the same questions that Thomas had. But Thomas asked we have to ask as well. Thomas and Thomas's faith becomes strong and vibrant as a result of the questions that he asks. You know, there's a man way back when named Tertullian, and he wrote about the early Christians. And a quote that he said, I came across this one, that said, "No man would be willing to die." Unless he knew he had the truth. We think about that. Thomas and these apostles, the way the story goes, is they pretty much all ended up in a horrible death. Many of them were executed, hanged, imprisoned put to death in various ways. Nobody who was an apostle really seemed to end in a you know retirement at home with their kids and their grandkids and everybody just lived loving life. These people wouldn't have done this if this had just been a dream or a fairy tale. They would have been loyal to a figment of their imagination. But Thomas emerges from his doubt victorious 
and becomes faithful unto death. We hope to have that same victory as well. We hope to emerge victorious. But the thing is, we don't have Jesus who can walk into the room and show us the hands and the scars. But what we do have is something that they don't have. We have the Bible. We have the Word of God. We have passed down through thousands of years eyewitness testimony of people who experienced Jesus. Thomas doubted because he didn't have a book that he could flip to and say, oh, here's the answer. We doubt sometimes because we don't want to flip through the book and find the answer. See, the best part to me about being a Christian is probably helping others, but one way we can help others as a Christian is by becoming the strongest Christian that we possibly can, the most knowledgeable Christian that we possibly can. And you might have said, I don't know why he said that about preaching this on a Sunday night, but I'm saying this because these in this room are the knowledgeable, most knowledgeable and the most well-intended Christians that I come across. And I guarantee you, every one of you at some point in your life and maybe multiple times experienced doubt. But if doubt is something that one of the 12 chosen apostles experienced and Jesus was willing to work with him, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Him. Because with doubt comes strength. And with strength comes comfort and knowledge that when this life is over, the way, the truth, and the life was through Him. If there's anything we can do to help you, we invite you to go while we stand and sing. Come to Jesus, He will save.